are listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies, a playwriting podcast. Every week we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share our thoughts on playwriting and theater. We are your hosts, Sarah Cho and Sam Collier. And today we have a very special guest. Um, We're so excited to talk with Erin Mallon, um, who's a playwright, author, and narrator of over 550 audiobooks with a special affinity for the romance genre. She's a six-time Earphones Award winner and five-time Audio Award nominee. Her audio play, These Walls Can Talk, is a 2021 Independent Audiobook Award winner for humor. Her play, The Net Will Appear, is now available on audible.com as an audio drama. And her other full-length plays include Good Riddance, Soft Animals, Hand Me Down, Stunning Displays of Prowess, Skin Hungry, and many more. Welcome to Beckett's Babies, Erin. Thank you. That was such a fun intro. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was nice. I'm, I'm psyched to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we're so excited to talk to you. So we like to start off with early childhood memories. So what's the first thing you can remember? What was your life like before theater? Well, I think I, think I have to hit you with a two-parter. The first thing I really remember that not pound puppies were a big thing when mm. I was a little kid. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're bringing me back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I have two brothers. I'm the middle girl of two brothers and okay. um, we're all two years apart. And I think I was only about three, maybe four. Um, and so my older brother was six, little brother was like two, three. And we had this pound purry. They also had cats. Uh-huh. And we were fighting over this thing at the top of the stairs. And one of us let it go and it went down the entire staircase. And I swear to you, we all went down and we could never find it again. And we have no idea Whoa. what happened to it. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know if my, I should ask my mom. Um, I'm sure we did at the time, but um, we never found it again until this, and to this day, decades later, we're like, what the hell happened to that thing? It was like the house ate it or something. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was like my first mystery that I remember um, from childhood. But one that's always stayed with me is that I feel like as a kid, I figured out the meaning of life at five and then I forgot it and keep forgetting it and have to keep remembering it. But I was outside playing with my, my brothers again and I was, I was on the swing and I was like having a blast on the swing and my mom was home all day with us and she was a great mom, but you know, she get frustrated. She's home with three little kids and my dad didn't seem to really enjoy his work. He would come home kind of angry. And I remember thinking to myself right now, my job is to play like that's it. That's that is my job. Yeah. And um, and I remember thinking, wow, it might not always be that way. So I like played the hell out of that day. And then later <laughs> I'm like, I became a playwright. And I'm like, that is still my job. And I forget it too often. And when I remember things go much better. So your job is to play. Wow. Um, yeah. Wait, I'm trying to. What what's pound purry? What what is yeah. that? Well, the main thing was a pound puppy. Oh, pound um, puppy. Uh huh. Yeah, they were they were little stuffed animal dogs. They were kind of like they came after Cabbage Patch dolls. They were kind of mm-hmm. like the the dog version of that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrible. Um, but then they they did an offshoot and had pound purries too. They had cats. So, wow. 
stuffed yeah, animals. I've never heard of this. Yeah, yeah, you're probably too large young for in it. my childhood. Were those the <laughs> ones that? No, maybe not. There was this one line of uh, stuffed animal dogs that, like, you would open their belly and there would be little babies inside. Oh wow! I feel I like that think... was a different different brand. Yeah, yeah, I think it was pregnant <laughs> dogs. I didn't play with any pregnant dogs, but oh, you missed out. I guess so. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> All right. So could you talk to us a bit about your journey? Like just um, how did you get into theater or writing plays and writing? And yeah, yeah. I, I got into it through dance, really. I, mm-hmm. I was a dancer um, from the time I was, I think, like six or seven. And I really thought that was what I was going to do my whole life. Um, I... I was I was dancing like six days a week. I was on competition teams. I was traveling. Wow. Um, yeah. And then when I got to high school, they had auditions for plays and musicals. And so I auditioned just thinking I would be in the chorus because I love to dance. And I got an understudy role. Um, it was for The Mystery of Edwin Drood. Did you guys do musicals? Not really. No. <laughs> the Mystery of Edwin Drood was pretty cool because it was like a – kind of like a choose your own adventure type musical. So the audience would vote on (laughs) which lovers got together. That's cool. Uh Yeah. And what ending they wanted to see. And I got to understudy the MC for that. And that was the, it was a male role. Um, And I got to understudy that and study the role and um, just hang out with the senior girl all the time and watch what she was doing. And I got one performance for understudies only. And it was amazing so much fun. And I was like, oh my God, when they let you speak, it's the best. And uh, then I just started auditioning to be in all the plays and kept dancing throughout high school, but then became a theater major and didn't actually start writing plays until I was a few years out of college. Um, Mm. And initially it was, I thought it was to write roles for myself. Sounds weird Mm. saying it now. Um, But the very first play I wrote, I realized as I was thinking about myself, too much as I was trying to write my first play, I I just said, well, forget that. Just learn how to write a play. Just try to tell the story. Forget about yourself. And um, then I've never been in one of my plays <laughs> um, because I'm much happier being the one writing them now. Mm. Yeah. I think that's so common that people start off by wanting to write roles they would want to play. Yeah. And then somehow it gets so much bigger than that. Yeah. Like it knocked me out the first time that I was sitting in an audience in the back row in the dark watching a play I wrote and no one knew that the playwright was in the mm. back. Like, it, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, I wasn't getting any attention. It, it wasn't about that. And I, but hearing them laugh and seeing them enjoy something up there, it, it surpassed being on stage for me. And I was shocked because I thought that was, everything yeah to me. turns out it wasn't I know it's such an amazing feeling <laughs> it's like it's, yeah and then you were hooked yeah. yeah 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 it's pretty cool how did you get into um audio plays and audio books uh so I pursued it pretty uh determinedly I was so when I was acting I I had been doing some um, commercials and voiceovers and radio spots, and it was just like what my agent would send me out for occasionally and realized that I really 
enjoyed it. I loved the technical aspects of being in the booth. Um, and <laughs> it reminds me, this one time, one of my acting teachers said to me, she said something like, I don't think it was the greatest thing to say to a young actor, but she said like, Erin, you're very talented, but here's your problem. You don't want people to really see you. And I was mm. like, and I was like, what? Um, I was like, of course I want people to see me. Um, and she was probably talking about something deeper than just eyeballs looking at me. But it's interesting to me that my acting world started to shift to where you literally cannot see me. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm hopefully you can see and feel like what I'm portraying, but I'm I'm in a little box. Like that's where I am right now. I'm in a tiny little box, my studio. And I find great freedom in that telling stories where you get to play every character in the book. Doesn't matter what you look like. It matters a little bit what you sound like, but you have to play everyone. So you're shifting your voice and you're doing dialects and um, it just opens you up to, to every kind of role that if it was my body on stage, you would think certain things. But since you can't mm. see me, you don't know. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I just knew that I loved it. And at the time I was teaching yoga as sort of my side job. And one of my clients was an audiobook narrator. And so we did a little barter where I would give her free yoga lessons and she would put me behind her microphone and wow. um, yeah, and give me lessons and tips. And then she got me one of my first auditions at Audible and then it just started rolling. Um, but that was 10, 10 years ago. It was slow going in the beginning. And then about three years in, I was able to make it my full-time job. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, it really feels like audiobooks kind of exploded in the last yeah. few years. <clears throat> I, I was For telling sure. Sam last week, um, where was, yeah, last week I downloaded this app called Libby app, which is mm-hmm. um, you could download um, through your public library audiobooks. And I just started listening to some audiobooks this uh, re- just recently. Yeah. Um, and it's like a whole other experience that I just, because totally. before it was just was podcasts and that was probably the only thing I was listening to, but now like, I ventured into audiobooks. What kind of stuff are you listening to? Um, I was listening to um, this like nonfiction called uh, uh, what's it called? Oh my gosh, my brain farted. <laughs> um, well, you're listening yeah. to nonfiction. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to remember. You know what? I have the app. To do, um, oh, I started listening to People We Meet on Vacation by Emma yeah. Henry. I just started yeah. listening to that one. That book uh, is huge, yeah. That's that's so far, that's cool. been really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Enjoy- I love like the music, so like adding some little elements like that, like music, and it feels like a real production. <laughs> I <laughs> haven't I listened imagine. to that one, um, but I know Julia, the narrator, and she's she's awesome. Um, but I didn't know they were adding music to that one. Um, oh, I, I, I guess I'm just speaking in general, like. Um, oh, okay. Uh, but it just like hat, it feels like there's elements, and this person also does like the different voices, and so. Yeah. Um, that's just something I've been noticing. Some of the audiobooks is like, there is like an element of production that goes into it that, yeah. Instead of just one person just speaking the entire time. <laughs> that's so fun. Yeah. Well, there's so many. It's really cool. There's so many different ways you can go these days, and. Just like anything, there's people that love, love, love a certain a certain process and others are like, hell no, I never want to listen to that. Like, 
you can have one one narrator telling the whole 10 hour story and it's like solo narration and then you can mm-hmm. have you can have a duet which happens a lot for us in romance i do a mm. lot of romance and so the male point of view chapter he does that and then i do the female point of view chapter but inside those chapters his character comes up so i also mm. have to have a reasonably good male character voice especially in romance because you want to believe that these people are falling in love and you don't want to be taken out of um taken out of it by like oh that girl is doing a really lame male voice or vice versa (laughs) yeah Um, that's so interesting so do you you record them separately so you don't hear each other well it depends so okay for what i just described we we do it separately because there is no overlap we we connect ahead of time so we'll send each other voice samples of here's where i think her voice sits here's how i'm playing the mom stuff mm. like that so we're on relatively the same page um but then we we work by ourselves but then there's multicasts which is what we're doing with audio plays and um mm. some people are doing it with their books too so it's mm. it becomes more of a like a sensory experience where i will only play this role the entire book um which is very rare, but very much like theater. So it's a ton of fun for me. Yeah, I listened to years ago on a long drive, I listened to The Year of the Flood by Margaret Atwood and I didn't know mm. it was going to be a multicast. I just, I thought it was just going to be like a regular, and this, I was listening to it on CD. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Because um, that was what the only thing my car could play. Um, and it was so exciting when I started oh, hearing different voices. And then it, there was singing in that book. So mm. it was just very um, alive and awesome. dynamic to have all those different voices. Nice. So how has yeah, and, and you know what? It's been your a really... work with audio – oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it's been a really interesting year for audio, which it sounds like you're kind of talking about too um, because, I mean – terrible year and yet gratefully our industry wasn't affected like our Mm. theater industry was so so someone like me who writes for the theater but also works in audio I just did a a real hard pivot um because I could take all my stories and put them in audio because I've been producing audiobooks for other authors for years so um I knew how to do it and um I could still tell stories in people's earbuds instead of in front of their eyeballs. So mm. I've been very grateful um, for that. It's been it's been an awesome thing to be able to do this year. Um, made me miss theater a tiny bit less, and I'm very excited to get back to it for real. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering how yeah. all that audio work has influenced your the way you're thinking about writing for the stage. Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. It's, um, well, one thing about this year in general, it's made me focus more, I think, on the stories themselves, the stories that I want to tell, the stories that excite me, and then think about sort of the container for them, the genre for them second. So theater is like my heart and soul. I want to do it forever. But ultimately what's under that is I want to connect. I want Mm. to, I want, I I, I write a ton of comedy and sounds like you both do too. And I, I feel like that is what softens people. That's what gets us 
to relax our shoulders and laugh and be together. And then maybe we hit them with some other stuff because we're open and pliable now. Um, So yeah, I've been focusing on the stories themselves and then figuring out where they want to go. So when it comes to audio, what is something kind of intimate that I want to almost, not literally, but almost whisper into your ear? Uh, Like I picture that person sitting there alone with their earphones on. What kind of story do I want to tell them? And then what kind of story would be more powerful when you have 200 people surrounding you and you're having a collective experience? Um, Those are the kinds of questions that I've been asking myself. Um, And usually the story tells you where it wants to go. Does it want to be a book? Does it want to be a play? Does it want to be an audio experience? Um, And it's so cool that we can experiment with all of them Um, because the storytelling would be different if I know I'm going to see you as opposed to just letting my imagination go for a wild ride with the author. Um, It's just different. Does that answer the question? Yeah, Yeah. that's super cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This is making me think, yeah, this past year, um, I've noticed a lot of the conversation about, you know, rethinking theater, reimagining it, um, people who are new like media artists kind of exploding into theater, doing these like really extravagant Zoom plays, yeah. you know, pulling in all these digital effects. And um, yeah, I'm so curious like how um, you talked about pivoting. Did like what do you hope um, – theater like this like audio drama like is there part of you that kind of want to keep this staying like stay the same that we continue to explore these other ways of doing theater yeah I I don't want the status quo I I want Mm -hmm. theaters to open and I want that experience again um but I do want to keep experimenting with what all of these things can do um yeah, it's yeah. it's been it's been interesting too. Um I've had a it's been unique reaching out to like my my readership. Like now that I'm mm. writing now that I'm writing books and now that um like people in the romance audiobook industry, which is a, a niche industry, but if if they know me, it's as a narrator. So it's been interesting putting my work in front of them as a writer now. And they're kind of like, oh, Erin's writing. And I want to be like, well, Erin wrote before she narrated. <laughs> but it's it's an interesting opportunity for me now to introduce you, it to you in, in your world. Um, so that's been really cool. But I've learned there is there are a ton of people that have never, ever, ever seen a play. Ever. Mm. Um, and it it blows my mind because I I, I don't. I don't know how you avoid seeing a school play at some point, but yeah. but many people haven't. And so a lot of people have been reluctant to listen to some of these audio plays. I think the word theater and the word plays, it resonates with them as something that is like not for me. I don't, yeah. I don't do that. Yeah. Um, so now I'm actually going to do another little pivot, but it's more like a marketing thing, I think. Um, and try to market them as scripted stories um, instead of saying theater or play. Mm. They'll, yeah, because they'll hear they'll hear Audible always has the little five minute sample 
So if they listen to that sample, they'll hear different voices. They'll hear that I have sound design. Um, so they'll know they're not just getting a straight book. Um, but I think calling it a scripted story might bring in more of a fiction audience without that, uh-oh, theater, I don't do theater feeling that some people have. <laughs> Interesting. I think you're right. And I'm so curious about what people, what um, their first, like what comes to mind in their heads when they see theater and they think, oh, I don't want to listen to that. Like, do they think it's going to be boring or do they think it's just going to be a lot of talking, <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah, I'm, I might do a little poll or something Yeah, because I've had a bunch of people, I have a, a Facebook readers group and, um, I go to them and say like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this title or I have an early listen of this. And it's just a, it's a cool place for them to meet and for me to learn from them. And a bunch of them have said, I thought I hated audio plays, but I really like this one. I'm like, well, cool. I bet it's only one of the first two or three you've tried. (laughs) So there's a (laughs) lot out there that you could experience. I'll do a little poll, but my, my guess is they think it's like, I don't know how to phrase it, stuffy or like Mm. pretentious, highbrow, like something that just feels like not for all of us somehow and oh god I think theater should be for all of us all of us um so and there's as many different kinds of theater as there are human beings so theater is for everyone it's just you got to find your jam yeah and I love that the audio theater offers people that kind of intimacy and that personal experience Mm -hmm. that's that does feel very different from going and sitting in a yeah in a theater, which I think is intimidating for so many people. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got to change that. <laughs> yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about your play, The Net Will Appear, which we both listened to. And oh. um, I just, I really enjoyed those two actors and the yeah. story you were telling. Um, can you talk you. a little bit about where that play came from? Yeah, so The Net Will Appear is um, it's a play between a nine-year-old girl and a 75-year-old man, and they're on their rooftops, um, their neighbors, and so the whole duration of the play, it's only about a 75, 80-minute play, they're on the rooftops, and um, so it got its first production in 2017 at Mile Square Theater in Hoboken, New Jersey, and then the following year, they transferred it to Off-Broadway. Um, at 59E59 theaters. And um, uh, Richard Masser is the wonderful actor who plays Bernard. Um, if if anyone listening wants to give him a Google, check out his IMDb. He's one of those guys that if you don't know his name, you've seen him in so many movies. Mm. and TV. I remember first seeing him in My Girl when I was a little kid. And he he was the Dan Aykroyd's brother. He was the little girl's uncle. Um, and that's how I remember him. Oh. And then It, <laughs> Stephen King's It, he's stuttering Stanley. Oh, my God, freaked me out. Um, he's incredible. And so we were in the same theater company and met several years ago. And I just fell in love with him and his work. And he's been so supportive of me. So I, I wrote the play before I met him but then developed it with him and Mm. worked on it with him. And then we found this incredible kid who at the time, her name's Matilda Lawler. She was eight 
she was eight, almost nine when we started rehearsals, had never done a professional play. And she just came into the audition room and she, there, she was able to retain that childhood wonder and like awkwardness is not quite the word, but like she kept adjusting her biker shorts her whole audition and it was just so <laughs> real and she was so present, but she was an instant pro. It was, it was incredible. And, um, so we cast her and the two of them were just amazing. But then the following year when we went to off Broadway, she got a role in the ferryman on Broadway. So we wow. had to, yeah. So she had to step down and we got another incredible kid. But then for this audio project, they teamed up again. So they got to reunite and work on it in the studio, which is really cool. That's so, so great. So this play was recorded during COVID, like during pandemic? Yes, we recorded mm-hmm. it. Hmm, I'm losing track of time now. It was it was past really, really tough COVID times, the very yeah. first COVID times. Um, but it was maybe about four months ago five months ago we recorded it um so we had two studios um they were in the same physical building but um they were in separate studios and we you know audio narrators and actors who work in audio they're very used to not seeing each other but we thought for her since she's she's incredible but she's still very young um it would help if she could see his face Mm -hmm. so we set up an ipad next to her where we screened him, and so he was in the the booth next to her, so she could see him and work off of him into the microphone. Oh. Um, and and they did a great job, and and it was interesting timing too because I realized I basically have a social distancing play. It's the kind of play mm. they don't touch. They don't. You could do it even during the pandemic if you were if you were gathering mm. people to watch. You could do it outdoors. Um, so it it is having a production this upcoming year, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but it it makes me happy to know that it everyone will be safe no matter what because it's they stay separate. Oh, I yeah, I know people were doing plays like on yeah, like you could really set it on roofs or fire escapes or something. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Totally. Porches. Yeah. That would work, yeah. work really well. Thank you for listening to that. That was nice of you. Oh yeah, it was great. And so I'm curious about what other plays and playwrights you've been following recently. Who's exciting to you in this moment? Well, this moment's so weird, right? I feel yeah. like <laughs> I I want to know what everyone's been doing. Like I, I'm hoping and expecting there's going to be a really cool explosion of what everyone's been doing. Um, I hope that's the case. So I'm thinking back to when I was at the theater, like once a week, I would, I I live in New Jersey about a half hour outside of the city. So once a week I would be in there. That was my goal to see a show every week. Um, So I'm thinking about like, what are the things I was watching before everything went down? Um, And you know, something I realized, I don't know what this says about me. The plays that stick out to me are the ones that I felt very frustrated watching. Um, Mm. And and that's interesting to me because there's so many things you can watch and think that's a that's a well constructed play that's I like that oh that's nice and like but I don't remember the details after so the ones I'm thinking about are Will Arbery's play Heroes of the Fourth Turning hmm. um, this was years ago but I still think about Annie Baker's The Flick 
Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So <laughs> funny thing, um, a friend of mine, a playwright, he saw the flick on a different night than I did, and then we compared notes about it. And did you guys see it? No, no. We read, read it. it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I I saw it when it was at Playwrights Horizons, and the very and this is how it was um, directed. So who knows? I actually haven't seen it on the page. I don't know what it looks like on the page, but the very first moment you're sitting there and this like blinding light comes in your face and, and it stays on you. It stays on the audience. At least it did in this production for maybe 30 seconds. Whoa. Yeah. And you're like, what is happening? What is happening? And then that light goes, it was like the projector light for the movie theater, but it was on you. And then it's gone and boom, you're watching them clean up the movie theater. And I, I was talking to these two playwright friends and we were talking about that moment. And the one playwright said, I was just sitting there thinking, why do you hate me? And, <laughs> and then the other playwright said, oh, that's so interesting. I was thinking, why do you trust me? Um, wow. and I, thought, I thought that was incredible. And I had a very frustrating experience watching that play. But when we got to the third act, I don't remember the content now, but there was a monologue that one of the guys delivered that was so gorgeous. I would have watched the play 10 more times just to experience that again. Mm. So maybe, maybe I need frustration. Maybe that, maybe they're like building tension in me and then releasing it. And maybe that's what they're intending to do. I'm not sure. This is making me think like, as a young playwright, I got so frustrated by like Pinter and Mamet. And now I'm thinking mm-hmm. maybe I need to go back and reread them. Yeah. Uh, and see why, you know, I mean, I know why I was frustrated, but like <laughs> maybe I would learn something. Yeah. Wow. I, mean, I like, love I, that idea. I mean, I think we do, we don't want to alienate people, we don't want to push people away, but I couldn't leave. I, I didn't want to leave. I was like, what's she doing to me? And I was mm. here for it. Yeah. Um, so it's a fine line, I guess. I know plenty of people did leave. Yeah, I was going to say people did walk out of that production. Yeah. 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 Because <laughs> it so upended their expectations of what they were going to experience. Right. Well, and there's you could also get into like story structure and how uh, there's so many ways to do a thing. But I think so many audiences think it has to be that classic uh, build up. Then there's the climax and then there's the denouement and then it comes down. And um, a friend of mine, she was like, well, that's like the male climax. That's like a male orgasm. And she's like, maybe we just want it to tickle a little throughout the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, maybe we do. I don't know. (laughs) There's so many other ways. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I think it takes experiencing a lot um, mm. to be comfortable with that. If you if you think of a play as one thing, and then you're introduced to something that's not your idea of a play, it's so easy to say like, "How dare you? What's she doing? What is that?" Um, but I we're very lucky when we get to see a wide variety of stuff. Not everyone has that opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. I think theater is such a unique experience of allowing the audience to have different experience like emotional reaction to something in a new way um I feel like that's in theater is the only place that you could really experiment with that it seems Mm -hmm. like um because just other 
other forms of medium is like designed to, you know, trap like the narrator to narrate a certain way or to mm-hmm. um, travel a certain. The story had to travel a certain way to meet uh, those plots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But whereas they just um, there's just so much wiggle room to kind of push and expand different ways of time you know how you can experience time in that play or um the story yeah yeah in a way you have you do have more freedom and so then Mm -hmm. you're gonna have more people who love and do not love it (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah but it's so worth doing Mm -hmm. i kept thinking one of the things uh I just been thinking a lot more as I'm writing plays is like smells. It's just something that I've been mm. trying to explore in terms of senses. Like, yeah, like you can't smell TV film, but I was like theater. Yeah, you could right. smell. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's yeah, just something you, I was thinking about. And you can feel like on your skin. I mean, it's just usually air conditioning or whatever, but what can we do with that is what, how can you engage more of the senses? We got the eyes, we got the ears, but there's there's a bunch of other stuff we're not doing, touching and smelling and, um, you know. Yeah. Well, Sarah, it's like that um, piece you watched from home where they sent you a box of supplies. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, and there Someone was smells involved in that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was watching the Zoom play. Uh, this one person Zoom play called Someone Else's House, which was like mm. a horror story. And this man was like sharing his childhood story about um, the ghosts he experienced in his childhood home. Mm. And they sent the theater sent us um, a box of like uh, cards with historical info about the people who used to live in the home and a wow. candle you light and, and <laughs> oh that's cool so, yeah it was a whole experience that I was like whoa this is so cool and it made me really feel immersed into his story and just it was like a whole other level experience that um because I didn't I was like I was honestly expecting like oh it's a zoom play I'm gonna watch right. maybe I'll walk away come back <laughs> right <laughs> right I was like whoa I was really immersed it, it took a yeah. two-dimensional experience and made it three-dimensional. Yeah. <laughs> it did. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. It sounds like it, it gave you the focus. I didn't even think about this, but theater demands focus. Um, yes. I mean, you yeah. could drift off in your mind, but you can't be that jerk checking your phone or like. Exactly. So, but at home watching Zoom plays, you absolutely can be that guy. And you're not a jerk. Yeah. You're just used to doing it. So that's really cool. Well, you're giving me ideas. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Super Um, cool. Okay. So here's some, I guess this is, we have a couple of questions before we move on to glistens. Um, So what advice would you give to our playwrights who, um, because only because you you have such a, you've kind of, you're crossing over different fields. Like what Mm -hmm. advice would you give to playwrights who are starting out and maybe starting to think that way? Well, I think the main piece of advice I would give starting playwrights is to come up with your community, to rise up together, and to create community from day one around Mm. your work. 
Um, so the, I think the beautiful thing about being a playwright is there is no one on this earth that can stop you from writing. Sometimes it feels like they can stop you from getting a big production up, but there are ways like when I, when I first started writing, um, seriously, I, I would get, um, I have this company called the Brooklyn generator and we, we write 30, we, we write plays in 30 days. So, um, it's, I won't get into the whole thing, but the way it started was in my Brooklyn apartment, I would invite um, 12 actors and six writers to come to my apartment and we had food and we each bought a bottle of wine and we would pick two actors' names out of a hat and one piece of inspiration. So yeah. So the first month we did like the poetry plays and I found poems that I thought were amazing and I put six poems in there. So then we'd split off. You picked your two actors and that playwright would go off to a corner of my uh, apartment and we'd all, we'd like interview the, the actors. What kind of roles do you like to play? What do you never get to play? Mm. Um, what do you think of this poem? Uh, like anything you want to ask them. And then we went and wrote a 10 minute play overnight, rehearsed it, and then performed it in a winery on Sunday. And we did that for two years. So we had like, we each had a ton of 10 minute plays and then me and my buddy, um, his name is Bixby Elliott, a great writer. We decided to take that and shift it. How can we adapt this model for full length plays? Mm. So now it's 30 days and one full length play and you write for specific actors. And, um, I always find a lot of inspiration in that writing for specific people takes me out of myself. Um, I don't think about being good or clever or fun. It's just, I want to write a role for this person and do that. If you have six actors, then suddenly you're writing a play for six people and something new comes out. Um, And that I think builds community. So anyone can do that starting out, grab your friends and write and read and drink wine and, um, and something happens. You kind of have like a non-official theater company and you're, you're writing and you're, you're exercising. It's like a gym. So that's, that would be my advice. That's amazing. I love that. And that kind of um, quick overnight, you know, writing a 10 minute play for specific people. It's so exhilarating because you get this whole process condensed to just a couple of days. Yeah. And it's, um, it's a nice kind of instant gratification too, putting it in front Mm -hmm. of an audience right away too. We did them on book. So Mm -hmm. we directed them, but they were on book. Um, and then you have all these 10 minute plays to send out to festivals and just get your feet in the door of theater companies. And and it's um, such great training because you find out yeah. so quickly what's working and what's not working. Yeah. And then also I found like I, I took six of them from those early days. I kept picking two guys out of the hat. I always tried to have a mix of genders, mix of, you know, like a very diverse room. And I kept picking two guys out of a hat like eight months in a row. It was weird. <laughs> wow. So I guess I was learning how to write for guys, I guess. Um, so I actually took six mm-hmm. of my favorite and put them together and called them the bromantic comedies and put that in audio <laughs> this year, which is really fun. Oh, that's Amazing. cool. Yeah. So here's a fun question that we like to – a little game we like to play with people. Um, name three playwrights, living or dead, that you would invite to a dinner party. Um, so, okay. I think I would have to invite Lauren Gunderson. I don't know her personally, Mm. but I feel like that lady, she, 
She's writing wonderful plays that are clearly coming from her soul. And she's a hell of a business person. So yeah. I would love mm-hmm. to talk to her. Um, and she did great stuff at the beginning of the pandemic. Did you see all those um, classes that she was doing on Facebook? I didn't because I'm not on Facebook. But oh, man. that's amazing. Yeah, it was really generous of her and very cool. Um, and then this is this kind of weird answer. Uh, a couple years ago, I had to write a short play based on a play by someone else. And I was given, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this is right, um, Hrostvitha of Gandersham. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. She was born in the year 935. Yeah. And she was a nun. I know. A, you know her? You know her? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. You know her. And she wrote plays about like, pots and pans yes like <laughs> yeah oh, i'm so glad you know her um yeah uh i thought her play was wild and wonderful and i grew up very very catholic so having a nun write kind of hmm. naughty plays delights me <laughs> <laughs> amazing dinner guest ah, i think that'd be fun yeah um Oh, I was supposed to do three. Um, One more. I think, I think also um, Christopher Diaz. He oh, mm-hmm. he's a super cool guy. Um, he he lives near me and has little kids like I do, mm-hmm. and his plays are so like muscular. The language and like the physical people that are in his plays, like they are they are moving and sweating, and his plays are just so like muscular is the word I think of. I think it'd be interesting to hear about how he does what he does and how he starts and cool. Yeah. What a fun group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think we've ever gone on none. (laughs) (laughs) Man. I mean, how cool that I love that you know her. Yeah. I think I studied her in undergrad. Like I, I think I was also assigned her for a project or something. And I was like, (laughs) who is this 10th century German nun writing plays? Oh, I love it. Awesome. Cool. All right. So before we move on to glistens, um, Aaron, where can our listeners find you? Uh, My website is super easy. It's just erinmallon.com. And I'm on all the medias, uh, the social medias. So Facebook, I have a Facebook group um, called Erin Mallon's Feisty Fitzies. That has to do with the book I wrote. (laughs) Um, and so if you're interested in audio plays and stuff like that, you could join us there and I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I'm everywhere. Amazing. Yeah. All right. Glistens. So this is a part of our show where we share like the highlights of the week, what popped uh, for us. And, uh, Sam, do you want to go first? Okay. I, um, I know I'm like really behind the times, but I just moved from a small town in Maine to a big city in Colorado. And so for the first time ever, I ate a sushi burrito <laughs> yesterday, Ooh. which uh, Sarah tells me is a thing that people have been eating for many years, but it was my first. <laughs> I don't um, think I've had a sushi burrito. Oh, that makes me feel so much better. It's yeah. just basically, it's just a giant sushi roll. roll. That has sounds um, amazing. It was really delicious. I highly recommend it. All right. <laughs> Um, okay, so my glisten is Nick and I, we binged watched the entire series of Friends. We finished last <laughs> night. Oh, my gosh. In one <gasps> night? Oh, no, not one night. That's impossible. Oh. We were just binging it like 
every day for the last, I think a month, maybe a month. Wow. We watched all 10 seasons from the beginning. Nick never watched it. Um, oh, he had never seen Friends? He, oh he's, he's seen Friends, but he never saw it from the beginning to the mm, end. He saw okay. like whatever, whenever it was on TV. So I watched it with him. And man, it was so crazy. Like bringing up all these like feelings I had. I was like when I was a teenager, preteen, like saw it, seeing it uh, for the <laughs> wow. first time, laughing at the same jokes. Um, and so it was just fun to watch it with. It. And when it was over, like I remember being really sad when it was over and then seeing uh-huh. – we were Nick and was like Nick was feeling sad too. Like we're all feeling like this remorse of like wow it's really over. It's like friends are gone. It's like, oh. Um, uh, then yeah, did so, you watch the reunion? Yeah, we did. So we, he watched the reunion first before before and I was like maybe I should watch um, it. We'll watch it. I'll give it a shot. And so we're watching. Now we're trying to figure out what's the next big long series TV show we could binge. How <laughs> so about we the might West watch- Wing. No, thank you. <laughs> Um, that's okay. too intense. I might watch. Um, we might watch How I Met Your Mother next. Awesome. That's like so. First. Here's my question: How do you feel that Friends aged? Oh, okay. Did so it feel very dated. No, okay, so in terms of the friendship and kind of like your group of friends, the things you go through in your twenties, thirties, like that felt really similar and relevant. The only thing was like, I thought it was really homophobic. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I remember. Yeah. That's what I remember. It was, yeah. I, it was, yeah. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe, why is Ross like so anti like dolls and like him child <laughs> playing dolls? And I'm like, and then just like a lot of cross-dressing yeah. and like being, addressing like a woman. And I was like, yeah. this is so, like it happened and it was a little cringy, but it was also very like part of the, like the bigger joke of this, the right. show, whatever it was about. So it, it the way it sn- they snuck it in was kind of weird, but, and also it, one of the co-creators is gay. So I was like, hmm. what's, I was like, what, it was this. Well, was it just, it really edgy? reminds you how far a distance we've covered since we were teenagers, like as a culture, we yeah. moved so far away from what was considered funny um, yeah 20 yeah. years ago yeah. yeah yeah so those jokes I was like a little it was a little cheap and but it was yeah but that was like I think the only thing that I thought was felt really kind of weird and distasteful mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah um cool. Aaron, what's your listen um, this might sound a little lame, but I've finally joined the TikTok <laughs> and I resisted it for quite a while. Cause I was like, I don't want to do another thing. Um, but I'm starting to watch things and there are some people doing really beautiful stuff on there. Like mm. there's a lot of lame stuff and there's a lot of, you know, self-obsession kind of stuff, but there's some beautiful people out there that are connecting with tons of human beings um and telling stories really and this one woman in particular um that i just followed today she goes i don't know how she gets the permission to do this or if it's one place but she goes to cemeteries and she cleans the headstones and then she tells people on tiktok about the people who are buried there Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and so she, you know, you wow. can tell a lot from a headstone um, if it's, you know, small children or if there's a couple people there and how they were connected. But then she does some research, too, um, to 
kind of uncover their stories. Um, and I thought that was really beautiful and people are That's loving amazing. it. That's amazing. Isn't it 30 seconds, like 45 seconds? I think you can go up to three minutes these days. There's some oh, way you can do that. But I think the ones that get most play are 30 to 60 seconds. Yeah. 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 And 15 seconds too. I love that you called it the TikTok. I guess I'm being, I'm being cheeky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Aaron, for coming onto our show and just thank talking you. to us and sharing about your experiences. Yeah. Such a blast. Yeah, thank thank you. you. All right. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beckett's Babies. If you enjoyed what you heard or learned a thing or two about playwriting, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And if you'd like to reach out and share with us your thoughts on playwriting and theater or maybe be a guest on the show, uh, be sure to visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com. That's www.beckettsbabies.com, and you can contact us there. Thanks for listening.